the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at mybookie.ag. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how MyBookie can help you change your fortunes during this NFL season as they give you a push in the right direction to make some wise decisions as you are placing your bets during this NFL 2019 campaign. And hey, if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz and John to come in just a little bit as he sits down this week with John Nord, formerly known as the Berserker in the WWF. Also, you remember him as the Viking. You'll remember him as John Nord. You'll remember him as Nord the Barbarian. He had a lot of different monikers, but the results always the same as John Nord could kick the crap 
out of anybody put in that squared circle with him. But I think everybody really remembers that Berserker character, a staple of the early 90s WWF with the Viking helmet and the sword. Long before WWE's Viking experience, there was the Berserker and an unforgettable character at that. Now, as of late, I know John Nord has had some issues um, with the law. He's had some things going on in his life. Uh, more specifically, he was supposed to be at our convention in New Jersey at Markout at the Meadowlands, but unfortunately, just some things didn't work out. And it was really unfortunate because in terms of the appearances, he's a rare guy. He's definitely a rare guy. And in a heyday of nostalgia where people are dying for those old characters, those 90s WWF characters, uh, he really does stand out because, again, nobody looks like John Nord anymore. You know, nobody's got that rugged look that they think, you know, hey, this guy could kill you if he walked into a room right now and he's so damn believable that I think we kind of should bottle up those guys from that 90s era and just, you know, we wish we could just drop them right now into the pro wrestling scene because they made it so much fun to be a fan during that era. But with the Berserker, I mean, like you, you can remember so many things about him. You know, there were so many squash matches on Superstars, on Challenge. But think about being paired with The Undertaker and trying to impale The Undertaker with his giant sword uh, back in 91, 92. You know, it's just these are the things that you think about and you put a smile on your face because these are these are times that you wish you could go right back to and, uh, and watch on a Saturday morning with your little bowl of Cheerios and, uh, and enjoying the, uh, the WWF scene. But nonetheless, this is a rare interview and John and John Nord get into a lot of John Nord's history, including his time in world class, including his time in Japan, including his time in Bill Watts's Mid-South. So I don't want to hold you very long. I want you to enjoy this interview with John and John Nord. Maybe we'll call uh, JP, uh, JP the Berserker, or JP the Barbarian by the time this one is all done. But a lot of stuff going on in the TMPT world. The TMPT empire is expanding in such a big way over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, the last week we launched the Francine Eyes Up Here podcast. We've been running a couple episodes of Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast, which you can find on Vince Russo's The Brand. But coming this week, we are debuting a brand new show. We are debuting the JJ podcast featuring JJ Dillon, where JP and JJ are going to sit down and go over some of the points of J.J. Dillon's illustrious career, giving details that maybe none of us have ever heard before and some of us don't even know even happened. So we're going to get J.J. here on the TMPT Airwaves to uh, start what we would like to think is going to be an amazing run of podcasts in this TMPT empire, the ever-growing TMPT empire. So look for the J.J. podcast, J.J. Dillon Coming soon here to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling Podcasting Network. So I don't want to hold anybody up anymore. I know this is a great little uh, perk of listening to this show. You get these rare interviews. Well, guess what? Here's another one coming your way with the one and only John Nord, the Berserker. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. 
Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former WWF superstar, a guy who's wrestled in WCW, the AWA, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Mid-South, World Class Championship Wrestling, and all over the world. You may remember him as the Berserker, you may remember him as Nord the Barbarian, but we are proud to welcome in the one and only John Nord. Please enjoy. WCW superstar. You may know him as Nor the Barbarian, maybe Big John, the Yukon, the Viking. We know him as a former WWF superstar, the Berserker. He is John Nord. Welcome to the Thank you. Power Trip. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Good to good to be on. Now, um, obviously, yeah, obviously, go ahead. I was gonna say, obviously, you've literally been everywhere. I mean, we're talking about I mentioned AWA, WWF, WCW, but you were in world class, Pacific Northwest, Japan. Yeah. But where have you been kind of lately? You kind of disappeared a little bit from the wrestling scene, the autograph scene, things like that. Where have you been lately? Well, first first of all, first of all, thank you for saying that because a lot of guys in wrestling were never they got in one territory and then they stayed. And I was a guy to be honest, I quit a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I left I left the territory quite a bit. But I did. I went to Portland, uh, wrestled Roddy Piper in 89, uh, 88, 89. I wrestled him Saturday nights. From there, I went down to Texas and worked for Brody, who was the booker, and the Von Erichs owned it. And that was a, quite a story. And then uh, back to the AWA twice, 
and I, uh, it was just fun to move around because you always heard about the territories, but you know, and mid South, I was down there for a year and it damn near killed me. <laughs> hmm. I mean, you wrestled 300 nights out of 365. So, um, but anyways, where I've been lately, um, I grew up in the car business and, uh, my dad, brothers always, always had eight, 10 cars in our driveway. And, and, uh, you know, we always had a car lot. My younger brother right now has got a car lot out in Ramsey on 10. And so we always were, you know, car guys, but the last year, see, I got divorced 15 years ago. Married my high school sweetheart. Uh, by the grace of God, my kids turned out wonderful. My my son, uh, who's six four, six five, two twenty, um, got ears like cue balls. You know, he's been on a wrestling mat since he's been five. Um, the UFC is always kind of hounding him because I think he'd be good at it. Uh, long story short, he's the coach for Columbia. University, which is in the Ivy League, and it's it's. I went out and seen him. Uh, my daughter is uh, almost a doctor, and I know it seems like I'm bragging. I'm not, but and my other daughter has got a big job on a, a food service in big tall buildings. And uh, long story short, but what have I been doing? I don't know. You know what? I'm kind of a ghost. I, I, uh, I, uh, I just, I don't stay in touch easy with anybody. Um, I, uh, I don't know what it is. You know, I think the divorce hit me so hard that I, that I just couldn't function that well, but you know, it ain't like I ended up in a nut ward or nothing, you know, and, uh, uh, that, but I've just, uh, I just move around and, uh, I bounce place to place. I, I'll, I'll, uh, rent this house, rent that house. I'll, I'll be, I'll be a renter at a house, you know, and, and I can, I kind of stay on the north side of Minneapolis, but I do talk to occasional guys, you know, uh, The Undertaker is a very good friend of mine. I talk to Mark all the time, and uh, uh, he's a, he's, you know, he'd do anything in the world for me. We kind of, we kind of grew up together, and not grew up, but we broke in. Uh, we were in Dallas together, and, and uh, he's not a sociable guy that, you know, he's not easy to talk to. And uh, I am, so I, you know, long story short, we ended up becoming really good friends. And then my, I think my best friend is probably Lynn Denton, the grappler out in Portland. So. And you guys, once upon a time, were a tag team out there in Portland. Yeah, yeah. And, and Portland, I, I really, I really enjoyed because I was in good shape there you know i mean i trained hard back when i was that particular age you know and we all all the wrestlers got some matches you see and you think god does he look out of shape you know <laughs> and then 
other years he looks like a you know like a Greek god, and uh, it's just a matter of training and 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 uh, staying out of the hotel bar and and trying to behave so you don't uh, you know so you don't start doing shots with Ric Flair, you know. <laughs> so great, great point. Yeah, yeah. So the kamikazes with Rick, I think one night we each did twenty four or something and um now you know, I know I another guy that God bless his soul, see, I got married in nineteen uh October of nineteen eighty four and you know, there was Curry Hanning, Rick Rude, Hawk. You know, Brady Boone, Dean Peters, Barry Darso. I mean, these guys were wonderful, wonderful friends. They're dear to my heart, like you would not believe. And uh, they were they were all part of my wedding, you know. Uh, and it really, uh, you know, when they each died, it was it was like holy smokes, and everybody would come up to me and go. Man, I thought you would be gold before them. You're crazy. <laughs> hmm. And I'm like, when you know inside that you're not, you know, and, I'm, and I was thinking, you know, I'm not as crazy as you think. I'm pretty, I'm pretty laid back, you know. And uh, and I don't like trouble, but I, on the other hand, I have a way of finding it. <laughs> so, um. But yeah, it's uh, and then I then you know I don't know if you know, but uh, Minnesota's got the Hall of Fame, Robinson, uh, in Robbinsdale. It's a wrestling Hall of Fame, Minnesota, and it is in Robbinsdale, and I guess it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, we actually not that long ago, obviously before he passed, we were talking to Larry the Axenic about that. And how he was honored there. Yeah. Kind of what a special place that is. And how many great wrestlers really came out of that area. It's crazy. It is crazy. I have, I could tell you stuff that you just, see, Vern Gagne graduated Robbinsdale in 1943. My father-in-law graduated with him in 1943. They were best friends. And my father-in-law's name was Joe Elson. E-L-S-E-N. And he was the first guy to hit a home run out of, uh, I think, is it Memorial Stadium? The old, old one? I don't know. But he was, and he was a hell of a player. Um, but he was best friends with Vern. And, and I didn't make a big deal out of it when I got hired by Vern. But I did mention it. I said, hey, you probably know my father-in-law. And my father-in-law took Vern in. In his junior and senior year, Vern came from a broken family, and he lived with the Elsons. And the Elsons built the Union Bar, the Palace. I mean, they were bar-restaurant people and salt-of-the-earth people. And when Vern hired me, he took me in a room and said, first of all, you don't tell nobody about our business. If you do, you won't work. No secrets. You don't tell them our secret. Second of all, one of the reasons I'm hiring you, and he, and this is Vern. This is typical Vern stuff. One of the reasons I'm hiring you is because you're Joe Elson's son-in-law. And uh, 
I went, yes, sir, yes, sir, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, because back then, every guy at age young like that has one dream. And no matter if they say anything different, they're full of it. They want to be on TV because who wouldn't want to be on TV? It, it, it boosts your being, you know. And uh, so I, as a result, I think I kind of abused it a little bit. I, there was probably four shows I didn't show up for. And I knew in the back of my mind and in my heart that Vernon wouldn't fire me because I was Joe's son-in-law. And he never did. And uh, anyways, uh, that, that was that. But I got, uh, you, you remember old Jimmy Snuka, Superfly? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I got a great Superfly super story. I'll keep it short. But me and Jimmy were in a rental Lincoln car. It was in, in 1991, and it was, uh, you know, them Lincolns, them years were beautiful. And we got a rental. Well, we're going to Madison Square Garden. Jimmy's on top. He's wrestling Piper, right? I'm in the middle somewhere. I don't even know who I'm wrestling. It might have been The Undertaker because The Undertaker just got his gimmick, you know? driving and Jimmy wants to see the uh, guy. He wants to see a guy that uh, wants some coke, you know. And I know you guys don't like to hear that on the air, you know, but I certainly don't mean it any disrespectful. But Jimmy, uh, so so Jimmy and, and Jimmy's driving and he's so locked up, he can't talk, you know. <laughs> He's like, uh, 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 you know. and and Jimmy, of course, he never spoke good English anyway, you know, never, you know, he, he would use words like, he would stare at you like, I think I know what you're talking about, brother, you know, um, but he had those eyes, and so anyways, the guard comes running out of the, and we're late, it's 9.30, the match has started at 8. And here we come, late, and the win Jimmy rolls down the window, and the guard goes, Nord, you missed your match. But, Jimmy, you can still make yours. Get in here. Drive in the underneath there. And Jimmy goes, not tonight. <laughs> and he rolls up his window, and we drove away, and we both missed the match. Oh, wow. That's a true story. Any sort of but, reprimand by Vince or uh, anything? Huh? Any sort of reprimand? Did you get in trouble at all? We got fined. Oh yeah, shit, Dave. Well, not you know, not so much me because I was in the middle, and you know, guess what? You throw somebody else in there, that's okay. They're not gonna miss the freaking berserker, but you're gonna miss Jimmy, you know, because he did that coconut thing, if you remember, with Piper, mm -hmm. you know, and it was always anything with Piper versus Snooker you're going to draw some people. And uh, the garden was automatic money anyways. I mean, there's 9 million people around the damn arena. You could sell scotch tape and make money. You know, there's 9 million people right there. 
Yep. So anyways, long story short, uh, and I keep saying that, we drove, we got fined 10 grand. I got fined five. Um, and, uh, and by the, and believe me, I was in there saying, God, I am so sorry. And well, whose fault was it? They wanted to know. Well, I ain't going to sit there and bury Jimmy, you know, he's too, Jimmy Snooker was one hell of a guy. I mean, he, 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 Jimmy had his flaws, you know, he, he was a little, how do I want to say it? A little bit self, a little bit self-centered, you know, on his family. I maybe, you know, by not going home when he should sometimes and that shit. But, but the main thing is, is, uh, you know, they wanted to find out whose fault was it. I said, both of us, we got, we stopped, we got that stuffed, and we, we just were in no condition to go in the ring, you know. And uh, so anyways, what was funny was I got family in Hastings, Minnesota. They own polka dot milk, polka dot dairy. They're millionaires, but... I told him the story, and it said, not tonight. So now I got the whole town saying, not tonight, you know, for 20 <laughs> years now. <laughs> so, you know, that's the big joke. Is, and, and everybody says it now. It's like, you want to go out? Not tonight, brother. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of funny. Love it. And uh, yeah. obviously you, you were the berserker in the WWF. In, yeah. Um, you would become the berserker in the WWF in the early 90s, basically 91. Yeah. Like 91 into 92 really kind of yeah. got into your group. How did you end up in the WWF? Like you said, Undertaker was a good friend. Did he kind of recruit you in? It, was it because the AWA was kind of on its way out and Vince saw you there? Like, how did you end up in the WWF with Vince? Who were kind of recruited you in? Okay, so it was January of 1991. Um, I got a call to do a movie part for Hogan. What was it called? I don't know. Something, uh, something, something macho. But anyways, they needed bad guys. And me and Undertaker, and I knew him from Dallas in 86 anyways, but we both thought that there's Mark and they do the bad guy. We read the lines. Well, I go out there. I didn't practice my lines. I didn't do nothing. I was just dumber than a box of rocks, you know. So, and Mark did. And uh, I'm sitting there back at the hotel with a cocktail after we both, you know, did our stuff to try to get the part. And it wasn't even close. Mark got it. And how, you know, I mean, Mark's a sick looking guy. I mean, red hair, you know. You know, he looks like the kid on Christmas Story that put his tongue on the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Scott Scott Farkas, you know. <laughs> He's the red-haired crazy kid. And Anyway, so he got the part, but it was the WWF that um, they called. And I wasn't even working for him, but they knew they were going to hire me because they heard about me and they just needed a guy to, you know, they needed a guy. So anyways, me and him both went out to 
WWF in February of 91 went to the costume area of who who uh, helps you out for a costume. And a gal, a couple of gals made me the Viking, okay? And then they made Mark the Undertaker. Well, the Viking was trademarked. So I was only able to use that three times. And I liked the Viking. I did not like the name the Berserker, but Vince uh, backed off because it was uh, trademarked by a guy in Japan, believe it or not. And uh, was getting fitted for all this black wear, you know. And I'm like, shit, that ain't gonna go. You know, <laughs> I couldn't. Have, I couldn't have been any more wrong, you know. But what was funny is we both went to Japan. And because Japan's so different, he wore he would go down the aisle real slow, and you know Paul Bear and oh, and while Japan just farted at it, they didn't want it. they they went they thought it was the stupidest thing they've ever seen. Well, Vince and them guys took Mark in in a room and said, who can you have a good match with? And Mark said, Nord, you know, because I'll hit, I'll bounce off them. I'll go flying. I'll do, you know, and make it semi exciting, you know, but Mark liked me too. So that's how I got a good run in with him. I got about six months in with him. And, uh, actually it wasn't right away in 91. Uh, but I got a good run in with him where I was making 10 grand a week uh, because he was on t we were main event. And uh, I don't know what months it was. I can't remember that well, but I know it wasn't right away. But we did get hired the exact same day in 91, uh, February 91. And... Uh, because of his consistency, his gimmick, he ended up making millions. Um, I was I was always a guy that kind of wanted to get home to his kids, and for whatever reason, I just I feel like in my heart I wasn't that good of a you know wrestler. I thought that I could entertain once in a while. I knew this; I could have a good match with Mark. We had a great match, you know, uh, that I felt I, it was. And, and uh, but anyways, that's when we became close because he did me a heck of a favor by saying John Nord is who I want because they were going to push him beyond belief, and they did. And he said, I want Nord. And uh, uh, I got a good run in, you know, and... I don't know. I've been friends with him since. Uh, I haven't seen him much, but occasional call and guy do you know? But you know, he just he'd do anything for me, and it really makes me feel good. You know, it ain't so much. It just makes me feel good that uh, a guy his how successful he is that he didn't forget about me. You know. Yep. Yep. And you actually, you're right, you started in uh, early 91. He got a little bit of a jump on you starting um, a little bit before you did. I believe it was Survivor Series 90 he started, but you're right, you started early 91. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 
Yep. You're right on that. You're right. He he did and, get a jump. And I believe the movie was Suburban Commando, where Undertaker plays one. Suburban of the- Commando. Yep. And you know the shoot where they, uh, there's in some shoot or something, but um, Mark has that sick look, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, oh yeah, he's just sick and. And me, I actually, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of Clark Cable. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but anyway, um, by the grace of God, I I got that handled. So uh, uh, I had that run with Mark, and then and then actually, uh, Vince was giving guys to Japan in late '92 with uh, Tenru. Yes. And Tenru, and yeah, Tenru was a Hulk Hogan of Japan, you know? Mm-hmm. And it ended up Tenru liked me. He They said, who do, who do you want? I want the Berserker. And uh, I went over there and, uh, and uh, made great money. And that's what it's about, you know? I got three babies at home and and I was I was just blessed, you know. It was just it was just very, very cool that that I had as middle of a guy as I was. There was a couple guys that spoke very well of me, and I ended up on main event a couple times in the in the area of my life, and that was you know Japan. And with Mark, you know, like when I tried stabbing him and it went in the ring, you know. Yeah, you know. with the sword. Well, that was kind of funny and, and almost, if you think about it, really edgy, especially for that time where, yeah, you're basically stabbing him with the, your your sword. Yeah, and, and you know what it was? You know what was the shitty part? Is he moved way too early. Mm-hmm. Yes. on that sword and I said please wait till the last second I ain't gonna stab you you know and uh, long story short he moved away but they did a little camera work so it didn't look too bad and uh, then then you know if you remember I threw my shirt on him right took off mm-hmm. my shirt threw it on him and boy was Vince pissed because they were gonna push him you know they're pushing him not me and they said, uh, why did you do it? You don't throw the shirt on him like that. And it was kind of like me getting in mine, you know. And uh, anyways, that was that. And uh, uh, I worked uh, till early night, sold cars and made uh, with my you know brother's lot. And I made more money, you know, I'm, I'm making no, I, I think I made 142000 three years in a row exactly as selling. So I was, you know, it was, it was great uh, those years, you know. The 90s, from 91 to 2001, the money was too good to believe, you know. Um, 94, Stan Hansen called me uh, the night, Thanksgiving night. And said, uh, "Yeah, uh, Giant Baba wants you." And I'm and I'm listening. I'm going, "Yeah." And he goes, "And they don't want you to do the Brody gimmick. Just be John Nord." I says, "Okay." And Stan says, 
here's the bad news. And I went, oh, no, what's this? We can only pay you sixty-seven fifty a week. <laughs> and, hmm. I said, and I said, hold it now. I said, okay, I'll make that work then, okay? <laughs> you know, most I ever made in Japan was 25, 30, you know, a week. And, and here he says, that's a problem, you know. I said, oh, God. So, so in 94, the first half, I just, it was just milk and honey in, in, in Japan. And then the other half in 94, I was a used car manager at, uh, at, Walter Ford in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and and uh, I had all the wrestlers there. You know, I had you know in, in an ad, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get all the guys here because they all came for for nothing. You know, I didn't have to pay them nothing. Anyways, God bless his heart, Ray Stevens came, and Ray was definitely an alcoholic. He had his stretch pants on, his bell bottoms, his glasses and big collar shirt from the 70s <laughs> you know and the last words he said to me and god bless his heart was yeah that freaking bockwinkle uses all those big words he asked he asked me if i knew what a paradox was and i said yeah it's a place where i park both my bolts <laughs> so so that was the last thing I heard Ray Stevens say before he died. And uh, I thought it was cute. You know, kind of just going back a second with, he said, Hanson called you, obviously offered you great money to go to all Japan, all yeah. Japan at that point in the nineties. I mean, God, that talent roster might be the most stacked talent roster of all time. And you kind of get inserted in there. And you said in the Brody role, teaming with Stan for a little bit, what yeah. was your kind of relationship? with Bruiser Brody, because I know you guys were friendly, obviously, for a prior to his death, obviously, but I know you guys were friendly. Did you kind of take your gimmick, even the Berserker gimmick, the hus-hus and all of that stuff, was that just kind of an inspiration from Brody? Did they tell you they wanted you to act like Brody? Like, what was the... Well, what here's what... Almost like a um, you basically play, paying homage to him. Here's, 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 uh, here's, here's what happened. The first time I ever went to Japan, I seen Brody, and I went, that's guy is a machine he got lungs like a greyhound you know go forever and uh i thought you know they want me to be the barbarian but you know what kind of barbarian what do i do so i started copying frank well i didn't know frank that well in 84 you know and uh i ran into him at a espn taping in 86 and I said, Frank, uh, just went right up to him. I said, I got to get this out of the way. It's either going to be you fucker, you... Oh, I'm sorry for my language here. Yeah, no you son of a gun. You copied me. There's bullshit. You didn't ask permission. I'm thinking all that. And and Frank comes up to me. He says, you are a nice, respectful guy. And I want to have nobody else do that except you. You're So... We became very good friends. Frank, uh, I wrestled him in a lot of outlaw spot shows, like Windy City Wrestling in the Amphitheater in Chicago, Little Falls, Minnesota, uh, uh, St. Louis at the racetrack, uh, and all these places. And we had just, you know, we were stiffer than hell. And Convention Center, Minneapolis. Uh, anyways, 
lot of outlaw shots, and uh, so I got to know him better and better. That was 87. Now you get to 1988. Frank died, I think it was July 3rd, 88. Am I right on that? I believe it, it's either July 16th or 17th, somewhere, but it's very, I know it's early July. Okay, uh, so I thought it was around the, I thought it was around the 4th. Anyways, I'm at a bar called Lord Fletcher's in Minnetonka, and it's in Minnesota. It's a real high-class lake. You know, Stevie Nicks has a house on on the lake. You know, it's everybody there is beautiful and got money and all that. And I'm I'm there and I'm I'm just pounding them. And uh, the nasty boys came up to me and said, "Hey, we got something to tell you, brother. Frank, they killed Brody." And I went, "What?" So here's what most people don't know, and I found it in my boot, okay? Late spring of 1988, me and Frank had a contract set up with Vince to be a tag team. And we were just, we were going to, we met personally, and we were just going to, we were just going to, we are just going to rip everything up. We were just going to destroy everything in sight and get over. And uh, the contract was for a minimum of two hundred grand. And Frank's idea was: do not tell a living soul, because if we want to pop this thing and explode it, we don't want people talking and knowing. I said, "Oh, okay." So. I'm all ready for that. Well, Frank dies. Barbara knew about it, Frank's wife. Um, I'm sure she's got a copy somewhere, maybe not, but I got a copy. And I just literally, this is not BS. I literally just found it a week ago. And uh, it was just kind of eerie seeing Frank. Frank Goodish, uh, you know, John Nord, uh, uh, tag team. And me and Frank, uh, I mean, we were just ready just to go in the crowd and just, you know, get all kinds of lawsuits, <laughs> you know, and, and all that. But the, the, the contract is what nobody knew about because I made an oath to Frank not to tell anybody. And uh, we were going to start probably late summer of 88. Um, they were lining up who we were going to wrestle and what we were going to do. They were a little scared, you know, and uh, uh, that was that. So, but that, what I told you is what very, very, I've never told anybody except I told a couple of guys, uh, at this autograph thing they had a week and a half ago. And uh, they just went, wow. I think I told Brunzel, but I said, listen, I I got the piece of paper, so hmm. I'm going to somehow put the put the contract on on the internet or something. I'm, I've never, I've never been on Facebook. I don't, I've never turned on a computer. Um, so, so that's why I'm a ghost too, is I've never turned on a computer. I don't, I just don't have any interest. All I ever like to do is Google who won the 54 series, 
know, <laughs> who was, uh, you know, who had the fastest fastball. I just, you know, it's it's all about sports, but I'm also a movie buff. And uh, I like, like, who is the character actor in, uh, uh, you know, A Star is Born when uh, Janet Gaynor and Frederick March were in it in 1937, you know. <laughs> And uh, that's the stuff I love. And uh, that's my hobby. I just, I love doing it. Hey, let's pause one second to tell you a little bit more about today's sponsor, MyBookie.ag. Is there anything better than the NFL season? At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down and take some time off and watch some football. Now, what you should be doing is the smart thing. And if you're going to bet this football season, bet with MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet this NFL season, it is going to be the best time of the year to take advantage of this offer. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit if you enter the promo code TMPOWER. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There is nothing like the NFL and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on. So don't forget, when your betting is just as important as who you're betting on, MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where we play and where you should too. Again, use the promo code TMPOWER to activate the offer again the promo code is tm power and activate that code today and you play you win you get paid with mybookie.ag now i just have to bring back to the brody tape and you guys teaming together so you know you're going to be a team were you guys going to be basically you know you're going to kind of be doing continuing on doing the brody gimmick so to speak you know the hats and the boots and all that stuff so you guys kind of would have been not like brothers, so to speak, but you guys would have been very similar, looked alike, talked alike, acted alike. Yeah, yeah. But he here here's the difference. He was the ring general. I I would do what he said, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he said Frank didn't like it when you just go out there and do a bunch of crazy shit that don't mean nothing. You know, if you do eighteen spots. Leapfrog this, chop, leapfrog, watch the elbow, and you do all that, and it don't mean nothing. Frank could get pissed. And long story short, Brody, uh, he just was a ring general. Nobody, nobody would control a match like Frank. And I was, you know, I was almost a straight man. You know, I would, I would. I was going to do whatever Frank said because I knew he knew what he was doing. Number one, he had had me by 14 years Two, I knew I was going to make a ton of money if I just listened to him. And I wasn't a good listener. I was a hard headed son of a gun because I wanted to be my own wild stuff. Well, we got Vern brought us down to the showboat in Vegas Three times we were tag teams. One time we grabbed the mop. There was a mop with stinky water in it. We grabbed it, and the job guys, we hit one across the face with the mop. The other one, I took the bucket and threw the stinky water on it, and it smelled terrible. And uh, as a result, the showboat kicked out me and Frank. 
Knoxville. We were kicked out of the showboat for life. Most people, <laughs> no, most people don't know that. Greg Gagne knows that, you right. know, because you know he just knows. But uh, they were, you know, WWF. I call them. They were were. They knew. They they knew. I think. I think they knew we were going to make. We would pop it. We'd make money. You know, and. Like if we went against somebody like the Road Warriors, I love Mike. I loved Mike from the bottom of my heart. I know him since I was a kid. Um, Joe, great guy, very personable. But I'll tell you, from the bottom of my heart, we would have ate him up. You know, we just would have if we would have wanted to. But the reality is because they're good guys, you don't want to be a prick, you know, but, you know, it, that's what was heartbreaking was it was right there. It was going to happen and it was going to pop and it was going to pop big. Um, you had to stay healthy. You had to arrive there safe. But once you do the match, you just, you're going to turn it on. You're going to turn it on hard because you're with Vince now and you're going to, and you're going to be a item like a like a Hogan and Savage and 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 they were ready to push you. But you got to remember, you ain't nobody. Hulk Hogan ain't nobody unless Vince McMahon pushes him. You know, and uh, you just got to keep that in mind. Frank in Japan was just incredible. You know. I remember one time I was working for New Japan and I took a chair and I hit Anoki in the head as hard as I could. And everybody goes, oh, oh you don't. You know, the guy's a senator. <laughs> He's the mm-hmm, boss. Yep. He owns it. And here this green pea, me, hits him in the head with a chair hard. And he got three, four stitches, I think. Well, the next night, I look in the corner of the ring, and they got two Olympic wrestlers. They took me down, and they tied me up like a like Gumby and Pokey, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, they didn't make they didn't bloody me or anything, but they made it very clear you don't do that to Antonio Inoki. Um, and don't do it again because, see, they were scared I was going to do it again to them. You know? And uh, so I paid the price on that, and I remember my thumbs through that, my both my thumbs were swelling. And, you know, from if you ever try to, you know, if you're in your garage and you're trying to make something, can you imagine trying to make it with two swollen thumbs? Hmm. Yep. Crazy. You know, and that's what I had to go through. So I had, that was the first night. I had 27 nights ahead of me with two swollen thumbs, you know, from these guys, or 26 nights anyway. And it was the hardest thing I ever went through. I felt so alone. I felt like the whole Japan, you know, I'd walk through the elevator. The Japan guys wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And, you know, Brody wasn't there. Uh, and I just felt so alone. And 
just sick to my stomach the whole tour. Well, I made it out and I collected my money and, you know, my two grand or 2,500 a week, you know. Um, but yeah, that was that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I guess a little bit of culture shock, you know, kind of get, getting used to the lay of the land. And obviously yeah. those Japanese guys are a lot about, respect it's a you know, totally different world of it it can be stuck totally. but you guys all totally. have respect totally totally they uh they they're a weird culture they love to drink and they love to smoke cigarettes and if you ever become a dentist go to japan because you're going to become a millionaire because they got <laughs> yellow teeth they got summer teeth some are yellow and some are missing <laughs> And for real. And, uh, but anyways, yeah, they are, they're about respect. And God, when I did that, you had no, okay. I mean, it didn't hit the headlines or nothing. It was just a very personal, low key, disrespectful thing to do. We're not going to make a big deal out of it, but we are going to have you pay the price a little bit. And I did, you know, I got these long legs and they get caught up. And those Olympic guys, they took me down, and they, and they, my legs, and I was, I wasn't screaming, I wasn't crying, but I was fighting for my life. <laughs> you know, they weren't out to kill me, but they were out to hurt me a little bit, so. Okay, even you, your size, you got to be careful, these guys, you know. Yeah, and I was in good shape, you know, I mean, I, I could, you know, if it was upper body, you weren't going to do much. But if it was getting my legs because they're long and they know how to do it, they're going to do it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now, if I could just rewind just for a second back to Brody and stuff and and WWF. Now, obviously, Brody passes away. You end up back in AWA for a little bit. AWA Mm kind of closes down. You end up back in WWF. When they bring you into the WWF and you're the Viking at first and then the Berserker, does yeah. Vince say anything like, hey, you know, I want you to reprise that Brody character or I want you to do this? Or does he just, you know, how does he kind of word how he wants the character to be? Um, Pat Patterson, Vince McMahon took me in their office and uh, said, what do you feel like? What do you feel like when you're, you know, first of all, they said, they didn't know if they were going to hire me. They said, well, John, we heard that, you know, you're told to go left and you go right. They said, because hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, I was, I was a little, like I said, I was, a, I didn't show on a couple of burns, you know, but I wasn't going to get fired. So anyways, they said, what do you feel like? I said, well, I, I feel wild. You know, I, I don't know what to do because I, I'm not a technical wrestler, you know, I don't have the build to be a figure four guy and all that. You got to be a little shorter and you got to have a little, maybe a little bow-legged to do that kind of stuff. And I, and I had long legs and a strong upper body. And uh, I said, I just feel wild. And they go, well, how would you like if we made you a Viking? I said, great. I didn't like wearing the horns. But when I came in, I was in really good shape on the Viking. And then uh, uh, it was trademarked by some kid that was, and they offered him money. I don't know who it was, but they offered the guy money to 
can the trademark. Well, the guy turned it down. So now they had to switch names. And uh, they said, just be wild, John, and uh, and uh, uh, we're going to make you the berserker now because of this trademark. And I said, fine, Vince. And you got to remember, you just said yes, Mr. McMahon. You went, you know, you got a wife and kids at home, and you're looking at, you know, 150 to 300 grand, and you ain't gonna say no to nothing to Vince. I mean, you got, you know, you got the birdies chirping at home. <laughs> so, and especially at at that point when WWF and Vince definitely like those lively characters, mostly larger than life, but also not so much cartoony, but Definitely something that pro wrestling, like the pro wrestling world, quote unquote, hadn't seen before. Much more sports entertainment, like like you mentioned, with the horns and the shield and the, yeah. and the outfits and the puffy boots. Well, they had characters very, back then. Yeah, very much character oriented and very much geared towards sports entertainment. Yeah, and I think people really enjoyed it. I think I think a lot of young kids enjoyed it. You know, five, six, seven, eight years old because. Their eyes lit up because of the gimmick, you know. And uh, I don't know. It was uh, the the one thing they'll do is I just I just I just wish Frank, you know, breaks my heart that what happened. But I wish I wish he could have I wish he could have been there because uh, when we got together, we really hit it off. I mean, because I was a respectful young ex-football player. Um, I got in a cup of coffee with the New Jersey Generals, which was USFL. and But I went to college football, and Frank uh, was college football. He got a year in with the Washington Redskins. And Frank actually started at uh, Iowa State. And I don't know what happened, but he got kicked off the team. <laughs> and so he went to North what North Texas? What is that? His stand and all. West, West Texas State. West Texas State. He went to, but he was at Iowa State, and he got broomed. You know, so mm. I, I don't even know what happened, but you can count on it was Frank being rebellious. You know, and uh, and Frank was just. I mean, he he, he was just a, such a machine. Um, especially like his hands, you know, I had huge hands and strong and, and he got in a year with the Redskins and when they had Ron McDowell and Chris Hamburger as a linebacker and, uh, Billy, I think Billy Kilmer was there in 70 and, uh, Frank made the team which don't surprise me, but Frank was very, very intelligent. He was a sports writer for the San Antonio Press. And uh, that part I didn't understand. I went, How, you know, I couldn't be a sports writer. I don't care about writing anything. But Frank was just very tuned in to being smart. You know, he was smart. He wanted to outsmart everybody. That was his deal. And so, therefore, I tried to learn. I tried to learn what he did, 
but I was also a type of person that, because I loved people and trying to be a good Christian man and and be and do the next right thing, um, I I couldn't, you know. Um, I know when we were in St. Louis, we did this. We were in this ring, and uh, it was at the track, and and this gal owned the track. You know, she owned the St. Louis horse racing track, the literally the owner. She came up to us, and and here I didn't know uh, her and Frank were <laughs> had a had a little relationship going, hmm. and I'm dumber than a box of rocks. I'm like, oh, she ain't bad looking. Who is she? And you know, Frank disappears and <laughs> with her and <laughs> but uh yeah. But and I heard his son uh, runs just like him and and it's just funny I guess. Um I don't know what his son does, do you? I am not sure, but I seen a picture of him and he looks like uh about Brody size. Looks like a big you know, big young kid. Don't he? Don't he? Not, yeah. Not so much young anymore, but you know, he's a big guy. Yeah, so that you know what I, I I I don't know if I've given the story as detailed as what I just gave you, you know. Um uh, you know, one of the good highlights of my career, I guess, where I wrestled Kevin Von Erich at Texas Stadium in 87 and uh wasn't a bad crowd. And uh one of the things, this may sound a little crazy, but, you know, my son, he started a book club. You know, he reads a lot of books, so he started a book club. I think he did it just to get the girls there, but <laughs> that's <me. laughs> That's his dad being sick. Anyways, but he's got a book club. Well, now that made me think of why not, and, and, and the AWA thing, too, got me going on this. Why not? start a book club where you bring a wrestling book and we talk about you know what's in the book and uh, why did they die in the book and and you say that caribou coffee and have a good time you know and uh and uh, that so i'm i'm trying i'm i got that in my mind to do um lenny denton who's the grappler out in portland is my best friend in that in wrestling. So we are, you know. But here's the thing: is I haven't talked to him for five years. I can't even find his number. But you know, we pick up right where we left off. He's he's just a, as good as guy. But I heard he wrote this book, Memoirs of a Masked Man. And I think uh, we're in a chapter together. Because we did some matches that you you couldn't even you couldn't even make it up, you know they were just so un- unbelievably fun, you know. But the main thing is is uh, he had uh, he had me on you know it made me feel good because we were together. He had me on a chapter, but I guess the book is pretty darn good, and uh, I think they kind of dubbed him the Forrest Gump of wrestling, you know. He did a lot of jobs, but he was very underrated. This guy, if you watch him in the ring, he could move. You know, he just moved. He just knew how to be a pro wrestler. And 
He was awesome. And he's just a, as good as guy as you'll ever meet. He's a hillbilly from Houston, you know. Stayed at his house a couple nights. As hillbilly as you can get, you know. Talk like hillbillies and eat like hillbillies. And here I am, some guy from Minnesota, you know. We eat steak and potatoes, and they eat everything but that, you know. And But what a wonderful guy. Definitely and, uh, underrated, too. You're right, definitely underrated. Totally, totally. And, and, and you know what? That comes down to one thing. Who's going to push you? If Lenny would have got pushed, he would have been he would have handled it wonderfully and gotten over and made a ton of money. He just never fell into the spot. He he was a booker for Don Owens for quite a few years. And uh I got I got Scott Norton a job there. I got Wayne Bloom a job in the AWA with Brad Rangans. Um, so I, I got about four guys actual jobs in, in wrestling and, and that made me feel good. And, uh, they know I did, you know, but, uh, Scotty ended up doing so good in Japan, but he started in Portland and then Lenny taught him, you know, Lenny, when I, when I say Lenny, I mean, Lynn Denton, um, Lenny taught him. So he was halfway ready when he went to Japan. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had a chance. Well, Japan pushed the heck out of him, ended up doing Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials and all kinds of stuff, and made a ton of money. But Scotty grew up over in Camden, and uh, he grew up right in our neighborhood, too. So I knew I knew Scotty since he was a kid, too. You know? Obviously, an old uh, tag team partner, the Yukon Lumberjacks. You guys were together, and a few weeks ago, we talked to Scott Norton. He's got a book coming out called Strong Style, where he's you know talking a lot about his career in Japan, where he's a two-time former really? world champion. Yep. Nice. Well, you know what's nice about that is I love it because it's one more book I'm going to use when when I have my book club. There you go. I am. Yeah. I'm going to try to. I'm. I'm. I'm going to try to get a. Uh, wrestling book club. I know a couple of guys would just eat it up. They would be there for sure. And and then see, I I don't because I've never turned on a computer. I don't. I wouldn't know how to advertise it on the internet and all that. But the guys that would like a Mick Karch or um, you know, a local guys that would know how to do it would do it. And I know people would show. And of course, me being single, I would probably want women to show too. <laughs> matter of fact matter of fact I'm counting on it. <laughs> you know, so to to be honest, that's part of my that's part of my motive. But it sure would be kind of a hoot. Wouldn't that be kind of a hoot to to just talk about wrestling books and sit there and have, have coffee and cappuccino and and talk about uh you know, get everybody's opinion and all that stuff. And there's enough wrestling books. God, oh, Roddy yeah. Piper. Roddy Piper's book I thought was hilarious. Great book. And it's funny, um, I'm actually looking at a picture right now of when I met him at his book signing many, many years ago for that book. So Really? It's, uh, yeah, I have it right on my, my desk uh, of all my pictures. That's one of the ones I like. Oh, because God. I remember, I remember meeting him. He was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. 
Wow. You know, I got here. Here, here's here's a quick deal. Graduated from Robinsville, 1977. I did right. Ventura opened up a gym on 46 in Lindale in 77, summer of 77. I ran it. He paid me 200 bucks a week cash. Um, so I was over at his house. He had a house on 49th and Camden, and I kind of knew he was full of it, but. Um, kind of know I knew it, you know, and, uh, uh, it was summer of 77 at Southdale mall. Arnold was signing his books, you know, his first and only good book, you know, um, where he's on the cover, you know, that blue one kind of. Anyways, I go there and, and I'm training. So my arms are, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I just came from teenage Minnesota and he kind of was looking, you know, and he knew I was big and strong and in shape, but guess what? There's about only five people in the line. So Arnold was sitting there going, shit, this is the shit. Well, here I am. I'm now I start picking his brain. You know, I said, Arnold, you work, you do each body part once a week, twice a week, three times a week. He goes, three times a week. I said, really? I said, God, I tried it. I said, it seems too much. And he goes, then don't do it. Slow down. And I said, okay. And then I said, you're just saying that, you son of a gun, because you don't want, you know, because you don't want me to start growing like you grew. And, of course, uh, uh, me and a guy named Jim Youngner, who owned the gym that, all the wrestlers went to it became very famous most people think the road warriors owned it they didn't a guy named jim younger did who went to robinsdale and me and jimmy took off summer of 77 for la to become bodybuilders joe weeder called me and gave me a little bit of like a, yeah i heard you're six five and you're you know 220 and you're pretty cut you know i said yeah um and I'm and I'm motivated. So we went down to LA. <laughs> you know, two dumb eighteen year old kids. We don't have a clue what we're doing. Trying to find an apartment, trying to we check into Gold's Gym at Venice Beach. Who's checking in next to us? Clint Eastwood. So I got a kick out of that. Didn't talk to him or nothing, but we seen Clint. He was signing in. Anyways, uh, it didn't work out. We just we just couldn't do it. So we drove my '67 Newport to Florida. Now this is five thousand five hundred miles later, <laughs> you know, with me and Jim. So he stayed in Florida, and I came home because I was in love with my high school sweetheart, and and uh, went back to Ventura's gym and. Ventura would, you know, always say, hey, Johnny, I, uh, 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 Hegstrand knocked out a guy at the drinking fountain and he's harassing my members. Would you please have him stop? You know? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, we just laughed. We, we, we'd see how far we could drive him nuts, you know. But one time, we're moving a refrigerator out in his driveway and me and Wayne Bloom, 
and his wife's looking through the glass window at the split level house, right? And he, and Jesse goes, "Hey Wayne, I can put a move on you and eat an apple at the same time." And boom, you know, he's half nuts, and Wayne's strong as hell. You know, he he did the 832 deadlift, which was an American record. Anyways, puts it on him. His wife's watching. Wayne busts out of him, kicks Ventura up, slams him to the ground. Ventura's hair is sticking straight up. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and I look up in the picture window, and his wife just put her head down and left. You know. And he didn't know what to say. All we did was finish moving the furniture, moving the refrigerator for him, and we left. But all oh, was he embarrassed. And then another time, I watched Tyrell, right, his son. Tyrell on 49th Cam. He was only a year old, and him and Terry wanted to go out to Gordon's bar and get a little, you know husband-wife time in, which is great. So I had a buddy of mine, Greg McDonald, who ended up being a St. Paul policeman, sergeant, and then he, now he just retired. But So we're watching Tyrell. So Ventura comes home with his wife, and he says, hey, Mac, Greg, you know, we're, just, we're 18 years old. He says, hey, Mac, take one of these. You'll feel great. He said, what is it, a Quaalude? So he gave him a Quaalude, right? We're driving in his red 75 Nova. And we live about, I suppose, five miles from Ventura. And we're driving. I'm in the passenger seat. And all of a sudden, he starts twitching. And his feet started going. We crashed in to a bus stop bench. And took off running through these fields and Mac never got in trouble for it because he told him that his sorrel boot had these long strings and they got wrapped around the gas pedal. But what it was, was Jesse giving Mac a quaalude. And that's a true story. All this stuff I'm telling you is hundred percent true. I didn't, I, I don't got time to lie in my life here. <laughs> And uh, God, there was another time, Jake Roberts, we hired Jake, my my brother Terry, I had a kid that went to Maple Grove High School in 99, so I called Jake, they wanted Jake, and I called Lenny Denton, so I said, well, we'll put the grappler against Jake, and we'll do the, we'll this, and he had money to spend, so he had three, four grand, so Jake comes in and says, I want Connie, I want the grand up front. I said, uh, okay, here. So I gave it to him. So what does he do? He goes out and gets, you know, cracked. And uh, he came to the arena, and he was a puddle. He was a freaking puddle. He couldn't talk. He couldn't do nothing. And I said, Lenny, you're going to have to control the match. You're going to have to get him through this. And he says, I'll do my best. Jake started throwing up in the ring. In the ring. And, and, and this is a true story. And uh, I'm sure it's in Lenny's book. 
You know, you, you could not put it. But it's one of them stories where you tell them and people that would don't believe it because it wasn't very well known. But it was known to us. We were the ones who did it. <laughs> so the high so the high school, you know, they they just loved the idea of uh, you know having a pro wrestling match there. And um, you know, my son was a good amateur wrestler. He was a two time state champ, and 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 Terry's son was a good amateur wrestler. So that's why we did it. You know, we wanted to just keep the wrestling, but we wanted to have you know laughs and and uh, we wanted to you know entertain the, the school. And, uh, which we did and, and, uh, it was a hoot, but Jake, honest to God, somebody's got the film, but, uh, he was absolutely thrown up and me and Dennis Kozlowski, who was a silver medalist for the Olympics in wrestling, I think in 76, um, uh, commentating the match. Well, Dennis don't know nothing about pro wrestling, and he's looking at me like, is this always like this, pro wrestling? And I'm going, oh, my God, no, it ain't like this. Please. It is not like this. And anyways, uh, it was about as ugly as match as you've ever seen. You got a tall guy with stringy hair throwing up, you got a guy in a mask trying to control, you know, make it look like a, an event, make it look like a contest, you know, me against him. And it's a contest of wrestling. Well, it was just a SIHD show, you know, <laughs> so. And Jake, at that point, yeah, I mean, the stories are kind of legendary, but have off the rails he was and uh, crazy he was uh, pretty much at that, at that point in his life. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I'll tell you uh, another thing when I, but I'll tell you something. Jake was a wrestling genius when yes. he was straight. Yep. He taught, I went down to Mid-South and I was the barbarian. He was Jake Roberts and we actually wrestled Muhammad Ali at the Superdome. Um, you know, he, he didn't really wrestle, but he came up to the side of the ring and he hit me and I went flying and a couple times and I came back and he hit me again. And this was the end of the match. And Jake's pride was so, he was so prideful that he let all he hit him and he didn't go down. You know, and it wasn't, it just wasn't close, but that was Jake. And it was when he was first selling his DD t-shirts, you know, it was just getting over. And when Jake sold those shirts and he started with the DDT, the, the crowd was with him like nothing I've ever heard. DDT, D, you know, and it was great. And again, Jake was a wrestling genius. He was from Denton, Texas. His dad was Grizzly. His real name was Aurelian Smith. And uh, he helped me a lot. I mean, you know, he tried. I didn't listen much, but... <laughs> Such know. a great wrestling mind, too. I mean, his psychology was... 
amazing. Yeah, he he was the way he would slide out like a snake, you know. And uh, when I was, I guess when I was had a couple good matches or a couple good months of where I was a tough guy, where people were fearing me. Um, Jake, I remember Jake. He would go with his hand like, "There, go ahead. There he is. Take him." You know, and it was just funny, you know. And uh, we had a lot of good time. Me and my wife would go with him and Cheryl. And, you know, Cheryl was Cheryl, you know. She was, you know, Jake Jake was about strip bars and drinking and coke, you know. And uh, you can't do that. And that's just what he loved, you know. And uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, the addiction and the vices sometimes are too strong to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? And But I but I understand Jake, and I love him. Obviously, when you started in the business, he was kind of, like you said, with DDT, he was really, really starting to cement himself and put his legacy to work. Well, he was way. a genius. He was a genius. He, he didn't care about working out. And I didn't understand that because back in them 80s, it was about being big and muscle-bound and being macho. Jake was about psychology. One little look will kill you. You know what I mean? Like a woman, one little look, and he's, and he's, uh, uh, he just was smart. And one time we were downtown New Orleans at the old New at the old New Orleans uh, Convention Center. About it was old in eighties. It was sixty, seventy years old then. And anyways, uh, we're wrestling Snowman and somebody else. Who was it? But. Jake, uh, Bill Watts says, go out there, and I want you guys to get heat. Me and Jake look at each other, I go, okay, and I'm, I'm right away, like, Jake, uh, you're, you're the brains, brother, <laughs> you know, I don't know what. So, Jake grabs the mic, uses the N-word, you know, and we, they had the first six rows, people started coming out of their seats. The whole arena was black. This is downtown New Orleans. This ain't freaking Little Falls, Minnesota, brother. Hmm. You know? Right. And they started coming out, and we're like, and Fergie, the referee, the referee started, you know, I seen fear in his eyes. Definite, like real life fear, and I started getting very, you know, fearful myself. I see this object come at me, hits me in the forehead. Someone had taken four size D batteries, taped them together, and threw it, and of course it hit me right in the forehead. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, and Jake. Uh, you know, nothing happened to Jake, but I seen fear in Jake's eyes. We thought Karina was going to kill us. 
We really did. It was no joke, but people don't talk about it that much, and Jake don't. And I'll tell you why Jake don't, because he's got so many matches in so many towns that he hardly remembers unless I tell him and say, Jake, you remember this? Oh, yeah, that's right, you know, that type of deal, so... And that shows it was you the just, kind of emotions that he could uh, elicit out of the crowd. Huh? It shows you, like, the kind of emotions and stuff that he can elicit out of the crowd. That, you know, and Exactly. Say one thing and literally just make everybody snap and go nuts. Exactly. He had a talent of... He had a talent of... Uh, of just, uh, you know, on, on, uh, on uh, what do you call it, on the interviews... He had such a talent of, of going, you know, you know how he'd act, and, and pe- people just ate it up, you know. Absolutely. And as we start to wind it down, we hit the wind-down button here. You know, we're talking about Jake. We talked about the grappler. We talked about Undertaker. But are there some other favorite matches and some other favorite guys that you really like to work with? Yeah. Did I? Who I who I loved was uh, well, I loved Kurt Henning, but Kurt, but Kurt, uh, you know, we we didn't wrestle a lot, but I loved him. I love. Uh, I'm trying to think in the WWF who, who, uh, you know, I only wrestled Randy Savage twice, but Randy loved me. A lot, you know, when he broke up with Elizabeth, he was literally, you know, in my back seat or front seat in the rental car. Just, you know, the the wheels were coming off. The guy was crying and everything. Because Randy had a heart, you know. He wasn't scared to cry in front of guys, you know. He had a heart, man. And he, uh, uh, but anyways, he he would just take care of me in the ring. The matches weren't necessarily big advertised matches, but and I got with Hogan in one match. I think it was Amarillo, Texas, um, and that was nothing special. The Hulkster just wasn't, you know, he 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 wasn't gonna. He was just wanted to drop his leg and win, you know. And it was just, you know, it was it wasn't very exciting to wrestle him because he didn't want to do much work. Where I wanted to do a lot of work because I might as well get in a good workout. I figure, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Before I drink my case at Coors Light and <laughs> and get the Vicodins from the doctor. <laughs> so. But anyways, I would say, as far as that, as far as my favorite to close would be uh, First Mark, The Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, I have some great matches with him. Um, didn't like him as a, as a, as a, as a person, I didn't care for him, but I, but I respect him as a, as a human being, and, and it's sad that he died. And um, you know, 
and and I don't mean it out of hate, but uh, he, you know he wanted his own dressing room, and they went to his head, and and I was in and I was in Texas with Brody, and it was that uh, he was the Dingo Warrior. Well, it was his last night there, and Brody went up to him and said, "If you were my son, I would." Kick your ass, <laughs> and and the ultimate warrior got just scared. He grabbed his stuff. He packed his stuff. He literally grabbed everything he owned and drove to New York because he was scared of Brody. That's the truth. I was there. And then another thing was, Rick Rude was known as a pretty tough guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rick was a good, was a really good arm wrestler. His dad owned Rude's Lowry Pub in North Minneapolis, and we'd hang out there as kids. And but Rick was always quiet. Came from a very dysfunctional family. Had gorgeous sisters. I mean, two were in Playboy, and uh, so everybody was drooling at them. But Rick. Uh, was a great arm wrestler, but anyways, long story short, I'm in the Texas Championship uh, locker room, and Brody yells at Rude, and Rude backed right down, and Rick's a tough guy, you know, Rick's a guy that will, will punch you in the face, and, uh, and he's got a hell of a punch, um, but he got scared, and he walked away. He wasn't gonna. He was not gonna mess with Frank Goodish. And uh, I seen it firsthand. I just sat in the corner. And Frank's one of them guys that will go. Years ago, I heard uh, what was it? Uh, Anderson, Lars Anderson, and uh, somebody else uh, liked that were arguing or something, but, uh, hold it, I'm driving here, I want to, um, but, uh, Brody stands up in the locker room and, kick his ass, Lars, kick his ass, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's just, it shows what was inside of him. You know, Frank was a free spirit. He was a little different than me because I was always trying to be the best Christian I could be. And uh, uh, he was a free spirit where he necessarily wasn't doing that. So, but it didn't. He had, uh, he was fun. We got, we wrestled in Little Falls once and I took him to this party up in northern Minnesota. I said, we're just going to go have a few beers. Well, a day and a half later, we're still drinking. (laughs) (laughs) And Frank, oh, and Frank got in so much trouble with his wife. Oh, my God. But but I got him just hammered, and nobody could do that to Frank except me, because I was 
I guess I was the all-American kid that would listen to him and I would do anything he asked, you know. And uh, it made me feel good because I respected him. He was a double tough son of a bitch. I think you... I think he was the toughest guy in wrestling ever. I really do. Um, you know, Brad Rankins was a hell of a wrestler. Uh, you know, he, he was unbeaten for seven years. Most people don't know that. But the point is, is even Brad, as good as, and, and he's like a brick, there's a brick in he can throw you in all kinds of stuff. I would still give it to Brody because Frank is so athletic. He's so smart. He ain't going to get out of position, you know? And uh, uh, he's just he's just that smart to not get out of a position of... Uh, where a guy's going to get him, you know? Like, you heard about the Luger deal, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, that is typical Frank Brody. Um, he, uh... But he really made me feel good. He... We did... He was the booker in, uh... Texas Championship Wrestling, and then when I did that, Kevin Von Erich, uh, and I was in the main event, well, I quit, you know, the next day. I didn't want to keep going down there, and Frank quit, too, because uh, he wasn't getting paid enough. Well, we got 20,000 people at, at, uh, at uh, you know, Texas Stadium, Fritz sends me a check for six hundred bucks. Six hundred frickin' bucks. What a frickin' joke. And uh you know, that's when I knew I wasn't going back and quitting and and then and Frank called me, I hadn't talked to him for a couple months and he said, Father, I thought you were mad at me, you know, and I said, Hell no, Frank. I said, Shit, I just I just can't go down there and get paid that kind of chump change when I got a family up here and I can make more money, you know? So. It is crazy, some of the, the paydays and the screw jobs, but you and Brody definitely kind of like uh, free spirit, so to speak. You're not going to get screwed. You're going you're gonna to be, you know, those rebels. You're going to do things your way, and, and, and yeah. that's the way it is. But how kind of would you sum up? Excuse me, how would you sum up when somebody says, you know, John Nord, the berserker, you know, what is the legacy on wrestling that you leave behind? How would you know, how would you kind of sum it up, the stamp that you left behind on the wrestling business? Well, here's what, here's what I said on, uh, at this thing, at BWA thing, uh, fan appreciation or whatever. And, What's in my heart is this, is I want to, when you talk about wrestlers, I want to know what kind of human beings they were, you know, was, was, was it a guy 
never paid for a meal and always expected somebody else to pay and all that. And that kind of stuff is, I don't like that, you know. Um, that's why, you know, you get like, you know, Tonga and Snooka. Those guys would pay for your meal almost every time. They had hearts. And uh, long story short, um, it just, uh, it just, uh, shit, I'm driving here, hang on a sec, but, um, it's just, uh, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to say, I had a little blackout here, so. <laughs> well, you're but, kind but of really, having a big heart. Well, you know what it was, was, and I said, I said, you know what? If you're going to ask, when you ask questions, you guys ask, I think it's best if you ask what kind of human beings were they, you know, hmm. were, were they a, were they a good human being? Were they, were they, were they self-centered and all about them or were they a decent, good man, you know? And that's what, that's what I love is is, you know, is about being a good man and uh, just, you know, it's kind of sappy, but I just uh, absolutely, uh, you know, just, I love, you know, it's just, I, I absolutely love people, you know, I really do, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just fun to be part of that wrestling thing, because there's so many characters, and it's, uh, it's a hoot, it really is, but the biggest thing is, is, what is important to you, what is, you know, are are you a guy that just expected everybody else to pay for your meal on the road, or are you a guy who wants to be a good man and, and do the next right thing, you know? So. It's all about being a, a good guy, and you're definitely... Uh fit the bill as far as that. I think that's why so many of the fans and so many, a lot of the wrestlers, you always hear like, where is John Nord? Where's the berserker? When, when, when is he going to come out to an autograph sign? And I'm sure those guys at the AWA reunion, I know Ken Resnick said he was loving having you there. So I know those guys were loving having you at the AWA reunion as well. Yeah. 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 And you know what? Um, there really is a lot of good good people in that, uh, in, uh, in wrestling, you know, and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing. Like Kurt Henning, Kurt was just a wonderful guy. He wasn't cheap. He was, he was funny as hell. I grew up with him my whole life. 
um, since we were little kids. And Kurt, um, you know, he went from, you know, when he started, he looked like hell, you know. And now he, he, uh, I'm going to pull in here. Um, yeah, anyways, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, you get sentimental when you get old, and, and right now I'm, I just absolutely, uh, you know, I really do. I cherish the people that I've met and people that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, uh, I don't know, shit, I'm driving here, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm glad to, glad to be, uh, alive right now. But listen, uh, brother, it was really good to talk to you. I'm going in this park store right now for my car and I will stay in touch with me, would you? Absolutely. I'd like to uh, thank you for all the time you gave us and you are definitely, definitely not a forgotten legend that a lot of people kind of want to see you get back out there. And Well, thank you very much. And I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's, uh, it makes me feel good because these years, you know, I no girlfriend and I'm, I'm pretty lonesome, you know what I mean? But it makes me feel good just to be part of, uh, you know, to talk to a guy like you and and that. It makes me feel good. It really does. So, listen, brother, I will talk to you and stay in touch with me, would you? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, man. I'll be talking to you. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.